0: Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club.
1: Welcome to the Commonwealth Club. I'm George Hammond, chair of the Humanities Forum, which organized tonight's event. I'd like to welcome our live audience here in San Francisco and also our live stream audience watching this and also everyone who watched it later on YouTube. This is one of over 700 programs that we've done at the Commonwealth Club since the pandemic began, um, bringing to you now with live audiences again, um, the authors, uh, the politicians, and uh, the political affairs issues that the Commonwealth Club has been doing for over 119 years. Um, tonight we have Tobias Wolf and Catherine Wolf uh, who are here to speak. Um, Catherine has written a book called Beyond How Humankind Thinks About Heaven. Um, and Tobias Wolf uh, has uh, written many, many books, um, but we're going to focus a little bit on the autobiographical memoirs, uh, This Boy's Life, and In Pharaoh's Army, uh, because there's a relationship between our imaginations, our creativity, and what we think about what's going to happen next when we're done with these lives that we're reimagining. So thank you very much for joining us, and thank you for joining us, uh, Catherine and Tobias, and uh, welcome to the Commonwealth Club. To start, in your book, Catherine, uh, you quote Sir Thomas Brown, writer from the 17th century, who said that when we talk about the afterlife, when we talk about what comes next, we're a lot like two uh, young fetuses in a womb discussing what adult human life would be like, uh, which they're expecting. That is totally ignorant <laughs> and, and, and filled with imaginary ideas. So Why don't we start there and say, in this case, for this conversation, that's what we're like. We're like triplets in a womb here, Um, and the woman's the Commonwealth Club, and we're going to try to get some understanding, not only about what we think, but about what has happened for the last thousands of years, what, what a lot of people said. And I think it's really important to remember that everybody whose ideas we know about basically were writers, and that writers... Are a very small proportion of the population so we really don't know what everybody's thinking about this (laughs) we know what writers think about things and it's it's part of you know our our writing life writers are all talking to each other across time across space it's very important to us but we are a small percentage of the population uh, and how we look at things Mm -hmm. so this was your project how did you decide to kind of summarize or, or, and, and go through all the different views of mankind uh, on heaven? Uh, that's, uh, that's quite a project.
0: Well, uh, it wasn't my idea. An editor suggested <laughs> it to me, and I said, well, I'll give it a shot. And after six weeks or so of research, I realized that the idea of heaven was actually a rather limited sort of frame of set of ideas in just the sea Mm. of ideas of imagination and artistic expression that, that started well before there was any writing that's Mm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And continues to this day. And so I was sort of in the position of one of your little people in the womb thinking, Uh who am I going to talk to? Who do I, you know, how do I find out things about this? Um, Because of course, Nobody ever seems to come back mm-hmm. with a verifiable report of what it's like. Um, Mark Twain
1: did, did, did complain about that.
0: Well, he did.
1: <laughs> Among I, many other things he complained about. I was
0: very fortunate <laughs> it to find very quickly that in um, every major religious tradition and in now in modern times when uh, the idea of heaven is not and the afterlife is not necessarily packaged in a religion, mm-hmm. um, that there are travelers. Mm -hmm. That there are people who have gone there and come back um, to give their testimony. And you may say, well, why should I believe them? Um, For much of history, the very fact uh, that they proclaimed what they had seen Mm -hmm. proved to their audiences that it existed way different from how we think about it.
1: Yeah. Um, I I think it's a lot like Marco Polo's travels. You said travel. So Marco Polo traveled and he came back with all these stories from China. And we know that China is real and that there was a real China then. But we know that his stories about what he saw there are not all completely accurate. And, and if, you, you know, if you had people come and visit New York City for the first time, for example, it's real. But everybody would walk away with totally different stories. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the page that, it, well, one of my favorite uh, near-death experiences, you talk about the secular things. So mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting in this last century, because of modern medicine, we have a lot more people who come back um, and tell stories. And mm. one of my favorites from uh, a guy in Marin uh, uh, got killed in an, uh, on a motorcycle accident. Um, and uh, he said when he came out of his coma after three months, uh, he was he was in a Buddhist sect um, had a, had a, had a uh, guru and the guru had died. And, and he said that during the time that he was on the other side, uh, that there was a female angel that told him it was time to move on. And he also met his guru who told him, no, you, your work isn't finished. You have to come back. And that they fought <laughs> for the whole three months over what he was supposed to do, um, which, which gives you an idea that maybe the afterlife is just the same as what we do here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just an idea. Sure I'm like that idea. <laughs> I don't think anybody likes that idea. The first thing that they, just like you said, the first thing that people really don't like when they find out their neighbors actually get to go to heaven too. Yeah. And nobody likes that idea. No. no.
0: There, there are still whole systems of thought that maintain that there are other places as well yes, that I... we go, that is not, not necessarily a, a good place. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that comes out of our sense in all religions that we live in a moral universe and that there is some kind of moral valence to our actions and that somehow we get our just desserts. Um, You know, and that's a theme that's gone all through uh, uh, religious thought and now into, you know, modern thought was not necessarily tying it to a religious faith, but feeling as though what you did on earth does set you up in some way to what will happen later. It may not be that you are condemned um, by a deity. Mm -hmm. It may be that you have to go through a progression before you are ready. Mm -hmm to go on to the next life that you have to make amends and come to terms with the way that you lived your life. Um, and so that's an interesting thing that has sort of gone from, uh, being, uh, the sort of crowd control of religion, <laughs> <laughs> or you can't do that or else, um, to P pe- two people having a very realistic sense that whenever and however they go, they may not be ready for whatever it's mm-hmm. coming. And then you contrast, you, you you know, that, that, that's one way of looking at how you feel as you move along. then you have the mystics in every religion mm-hmm. who feel as though they can go there now, mm-hmm. you know, through spiritual discipline, through meditation, through prayer. Um, and that, that they either reach a sort of temporary transcendence, um, or they actually are in the presence of a deity, mm-hmm. um, or, as some people would say, they just have such fabulous imaginations that they have created a kind of universe for themselves where they are with a deity. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Yeah, I, I, one of the things I find interesting about most of the reports is a lot of people say, I, I felt that I understood everything and that I was one with omniscience mm-hmm. and so on. And you always wonder why they don't retain more of that information for us when they come back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if they had momentary omniscience, they usually don't have almost anything other than the experience to, to convey. They don't have any new medical information, they don't, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So uh, it's.
0: But they often change their lives.
1: But they change. Exactly exactly. 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 They not having the fear of death does change people. There are tribes, uh, you know, that that fought the Persians uh, in the seventh century B.C. Uh, who believed in reincarnation and they fought fearlessly because they. They just figured it doesn't make any difference. This sure. is what I do. Yeah. Um, and that scared the heck out of <laughs> regular regular uh, armies who yes. didn't have that uh, yeah. that belief system. Yes. So I have a, I have a, I have a question for you, uh, Tobias. When you're thinking about this imagination that we, we, we reimagine the experiences that we've had. And uh, Catherine mentioned just desserts. Um, you have a story in old school about Ayn Rand coming to the school and... In a way, you kind of give her her just desserts in the novel. <laughs> and and I was just wondering if that, that story uh, clearly made up. I, I, I don't think, I assume that Ayn Rand did not come to the school that you went to or, or, or based on. But, but you, you clearly wanted her to experience something of what it would be like for an outsider to see her. Yeah. Um. Well, it certainly, uh, you're right.
2: She did not come to my school. A lot of uh, Robert Frost, who I described coming to my mm-hmm. school, did in fact come, but Ayn Rand did not come. Uh, but she figured, importantly, in my imagination of that novel. Mm-hmm. So, as Catherine did with her uh, uh, subject, I immersed myself in Ayn Randia, mm-hmm. and uh, I... Read as much as I could bear of her work, <laughs> uh, and I get, which I had been addicted to when I was a teenager. Right. Um, and uh, and boy, if there's an argument for growing up,
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway.
2: Um, <laughs> But I went back to it, and then I read, uh, I read some of her essays in a book called The Virtue of Selfishness, mm-hmm. and then I read her letters, and they were just revelatory. Uh, her meanness of spirit w- was utterly undisguised in her letters, <laughs> and, uh, as was her philosophy. And so I, I, I thought, oh, I, I can speak, I can inhabit this person. Mm-hmm. At least in a fictional universe, and mm-hmm. so that reading her letters heartened me in in terms of imagine, giving me some sense of <laughs> of uh, of license, if you will, to imagine her if she had come and which the sorts of things she would have said. Um, but you know, Catherine, uh, uh, Catherine uh, has. Um, in some way diminished her responsibility for this book by saying that someone else suggested it. She, when he dangled that possibility, she was on it like a barracuda. (laughs) It's a kind of culmination of a lot of work she's been doing anyway. Uh, uh, Catherine went back uh, and took a graduate degree in theology after our kids had grown up. This Mm -hmm. is something that is central to her. And, she edited a really fine book called uh, "Not Less than Everything uh, on dealing with questions of, of of faith and so it was a real natural for her i and boy, it was the minute she the minute that locked in she was on it and uh, I, I mean it's it 's such a to take on the the uh, subject of the afterlife is so daunting because we have so many ideas of it, and so many of them are, uh, I mean, we're barricaded in these ideas in mm-hmm. the afterlife, and they make good cartoons in the New Yorker, <laughs> the people sitting around on clouds saying funny things, or in jokes, you know. Three men show up at the pearly gates at yeah. the same time. I won't tell that joke, but but uh, I could. Uh, see me after. But, but, uh, and uh, you know, you think of say, uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton said that uh, uh, any uh, any description of the afterlife that he'd ever encountered didn't sound like any good day he'd ever had. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and George Orwell has a great line about it. He's he said, to him, it always sounded like choir practice in a jewelry store. <laughs> uh, so that's the kind of thing she was up against, in a way, these popular conceptions of, of the afterlife, uh, and, uh, and you know, to come up with such a, uh, not just a fresh vision of it, but a fresh way of looking at the idea of it. There is no one, uh, one way of looking at it, and so many of these faith traditions have their own, but... You, you said not, Catherine. Just a moment ago, you said you know not, not condemnation. But let's not forget condemnation because <laughs> that's part of the fun of it. The uh, one, one of my favorite things in her book, and this happens in more than one faith tradition, is that uh, those who are good and, and you know, <laughs> go where you'd want to go. Uh, part of the part of the goodness of going where they're, they're going is that they get to sit on a kind of balcony and, <laughs> and observe the sufferings of the bad. I mean, what's the point of being good if you can't see bad people suffer, right? It's <laughs> <And>,
0: Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> yeah, <that's>
1: Thomas <laughs> was, Aquinas you, you quoted on it. Yeah, and,
0: <laughs> but you know, you said something that <laughs> struck me. Never thought of this before after all this research and writing about how you felt it was sort of delicious for you to give Ayn Rand just a few of her just desserts. (laughs) And I'm thinking of how particularly with notions of hell, which I didn't get into too much. Mm -hmm. But they seem to be dreamt up by people who are pretty angry, a lot of other people, (laughs) and have dreamt (laughs) up really creative endings for them. I mean, there's one in Zoroastrianism where women who refused sex with their husbands had to lick a red-hot iron forever. (laughs) There's one in Tibetan Buddhism where... Where a a man who is greedy is given a a stomach as big as the universe that's empty and and a a mouth that is the tiniest hole in the universe and the tiniest straw to try to get something and that's his hell trying to get. And so you just I'm, it's, I, I'm thinking, people are thinking, I know that guy. <laughs> I know what I want to have happen to him. <laughs> and of course it's a terrible thing to say, but these right. de- these descriptions of what happened to people in hell are often a lot more interesting <laughs> than what apparently happens in heaven as in Orwell. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or in practice somebody, in a jewelry shop.
1: Somebody should do a statistical analysis of the readers of Dante and see how many read. Hell, how exactly. many read Purgatory, yes. and how many read Heaven? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure, I'm sure Hell is, is the winner.
0: Yeah, Purgatory is pretty, sure pretty <laughs> interesting, oh,
1: absolutely. too. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> oh, no, no. The Inferno is really, that's that's yeah. got your attention.
1: That's got yeah. your yeah.
0: Satan in her frozen lake, <laughs> right. gnawing on Judas
1: yeah. and Brutus. I, and of course, the Pope that was really nasty to, to Dante is right near the bottom. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. He throws Angry a lot people of people in there, there. absolutely.
1: Oh, we, before we oh, yeah. leave the New Yorker cartoons you mentioned, too, there was one about Ayn <laughs> Rand uh, not too long ago that you'd like. I missed it. Um, and it, it. It showed a bunch of stalks of corn that weren't doing very well, and a farmer and his son were there. And the stalks of corn were all reading books by Ayn Rand. And, <laughs> and, and they were not doing very well. And the farmer says to the son, uh, the reason the corn can't mature is because it's still reading Ayn Rand. Oh,
0: that's, <laughs> great. Oh, that's, that's great. That's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, so
1: <laughs> we, let, let's go back to the beyond for a second. Okay. Um, it, there's a lot of stories. It, one of the things that's interesting is how much more concrete and detailed it's become over time. Uh, a lot of the ancient Greeks or the ancient Jews mm-hmm. had a very vague idea about. Mm-hmm and and that it wasn't very pleasant there wasn't you know it was that you were a shade and and you really weren't having any fun yeah yeah you know i don't know why singing hymns is that much more fun but it's a little more detailed <laughs> so so uh you talk about the influence of zoroaster and and their ideas on the idea of the, the afterlife that eventually influenced Judaism and, and Christianity.
0: Oh, absolutely yeah. because so that, there that. you have that kind of big dualistic mm-hmm. universe where um is it Ahura Mazda is the god there had been a great battle in heaven and then Angra Mainyu was the devil figure and then realm split and it's light and beautiful up there and horrible down there. It very similar to what you get in the Christian um sort of cosmos. <laughs> um not not so much in the Jewish cosmos because mm-hmm. they're they have the most wonderful idea about hell, which is that it's really almost blasphemous to call, to say that a God who is infinitely merciful would ever allow anybody to languish forever in in a hell, which Mm -hmm. I think is kind of great myself. I like it. (laughs) It's one of those things that I learned. I thought I like that idea. Um,
1: If if you push that one really hard, you get a lot of converts, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. If
1: that became clear to people. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. But I think we're still fighting that dualism, actually. Interestingly enough, you know in the if if you can stand to ed- educate yourself a little bit in this or help some have somebody help you, the whole idea of the quantum universe and the way in which evolution a lot of people are talking about evolution is not just a physical process but as a process having to do with. Will and intention and meaning. Mm. This would be um, the theologian Terre Deschartes. Um, that that whole idea of you know the good, the bad, the, the great, the, the light, beautiful place, and the horrible dark place. Um, it's just not working anymore. Mm-hmm. Not that. One does not sense the presence of evil in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have to say that. Um, but, but there's a, just this, much, this sense that, you know, there aren't way other realms outside this universe and some other reality. Maybe we're talking about the reality that we are in in this universe mm-hmm. and that we're just coming towards something that we don't really have the capacity to grasp. Yeah. At this point. So a, a great deal of humility is in order. Yeah.
1: A great deal of humility and, and, and a little less fear or a lot less Indeed.
0: fear. Yeah. Indeed.
1: Um, one of the stories that, of course, is, is uh, very popular and, you know, repeated all the time, although it's not exactly in the Bible, um, about the start of heaven and all that, uh, was that Satan rebels, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, Satan rebels and he convinces one third of the angels to leave with him, right? That, that means that heaven is escapable, right? Because it's supposed to be eternal; it's supposed to last forever. But one third of the people made a decision that allowed them to escape. Now, whether that was a good idea or not, <laughs> under the circumstances, but it does. It, the, the, it's interesting to me how the images and the stories don't match the ideas. And I want to go back to you to bias on that because of, that's true in autobiography and in, in in all kinds of writing. You have a certain amount of ideas. And it doesn't, the readers don't get the same thing that the writer was trying to convey. I think you mentioned something about Camus on that one, too. Ah, so yes. so uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because here we are, you know, like that story gives away information, just like there's uh, something in the New Testament where Jesus is asked about Jerusalem. When is Jerusalem going to be destroyed? And he says, uh, heaven and, and earth shall pass away. You know, he, he talks about, I don't know. He mm-hmm. says, I don't know. Only the father knows when Jerusalem will, will, will be destroyed, but heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will not pass away in that very short thing. He undercuts all kinds of ideas because when he says that heaven is going to pass away, that means it's not eternal. The other thing he says is that my father knows something that I don't know. If they're both equally omniscient, that's not really possible. Or if they're one mind. So, when people tell stories, it's very convincing, but readers can see things that weren't intended or were unconsciously intended or were unconsciously conveyed. And so you, I'm sure you've run into this with your readers telling you, this is what you meant. And you say, I didn't really mean that, or I didn't think of that.
2: Well, that, that does happen from time to time. Uh, uh, But I have to say that often when they point that out, Mm -hmm. I see that it's there mm-hmm. mm. uh, in spite of my intention. And uh, if it's something that they see as, you know, really contributing to the, uh, the virtue or power of the work I've done, and uh, then, of course, I intended it. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, uh, yes, it, it, you mentioned Camus. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a great admirer of, of his novel, The Stranger, mm-hmm. and taught it at, in my classes for years uh, as one of, the, one of the books that I taught. And uh, one of the interesting things about that book to me is that when he talked about the book after he'd written it and uh, gave interviews about it... Um, he once used the expression uh Merceau, the main character is uh, uh the only Jesus we deserve, he says. Mm-hmm. Uh and indeed at the end of uh at the end of, of that novel, uh Merceau, who is being executed for murder, uh a mur- a, mur- a wanton murder, uh uh Paints himself. He's narrating the novel in Christian, in a kind of Christian panoply of images, uh, and all that is left, he says at the end of the novel, for me to complete my happiness are the are the uh, cries of hatred from the crowd. Uh, what does that remind you of? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so he's deliberately setting Merceau up as as a as a, as a you know almost a kind of christ like figure dying for the truth because mm-hmm. he won 't pretend to feel things he doesn 't feel like guilt, for example mm-hmm. uh, or or love and uh, in in fact uh, that isn 't the character that Camus actually wrote uh, a, a martyr to truth mm-hmm. as Camus seemed to see his own character. Uh, he is uh, uh he 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 lies to others, he lies to himself, uh and he's a much more interesting and complicated character than this one that maybe Camus set out to write. And I, I just find yeah. that so interesting the way the imagination works, uh yeah. that uh uh, that sometimes we do better than we mean to do in our imaginings, that mm-hmm. you know we succeed to levels of uh, of of complexity and exploration that uh, that our first kind of blueprint imagination of something really doesn 't account for uh, mm-hmm. it 's a It's a riotous faculty that we have. It's something that's a little beyond our control. That's why we call it a gift. It's not something we can command. And God knows as one who tries to command it day after day, (laughs) I know that it's not obedient. And (laughs) it will give itself when it will. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so, uh, you know, the imagination is such a, uh, you know it's it's it's, it's quicksilver it's elusive
0: but you know you're 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 making me think of the way in which so many of the um images and teachings about heaven or other realms in the afterlife um you know would have been promulgated by somebody dante was the best probably yeah. um but readers, people who would have heard of these visions and, and contemplated them, they make them their own. And there's a way in which I see our imagination as being collective. Mm. Um, it's one of the things Mm. that struck me from the very beginning to the very end of the book is that no matter what people imagined about what was going to happen beyond, um, they never stopped, wondering mm-hmm. there it was as though there was something drawing them mm-hmm. um that they had to respond to and so they go about it in in very different ways but we keep doing this so humans have this incredible legacy of imagination because that's really all it is not that i should say all it is because mm-hmm. that seems pejorative yeah it's magnificent yeah. and it points towards a truth
2: mm-hmm. yeah um, it's you, say, you say something, I'm sorry, yeah, but, George, but you say something in your book that I think is really wonderfully encapsulates this. You say somewhere in your book, I remember the sentence, this is not a, a history of heaven, it is a history of our imagination of heaven. That's and I think be. that just nails what, what, what you did in it. It's you
0: know,
1: all it could be.
2: You know, all it could, yeah, it's all it could be, right.
1: And if we look at our major histories of what human beings have done for the last 5,000 years, Mm -hmm. those writings are also imaginations of what actually happened. We know that this is not accurate. Yes. Um, And uh, I I think we're at a very interesting point here in the beginning of the 21st century because the 20th century was so good at materialistic science Mm -hmm. that an idea came up that unless you can measure something, you can't really know it. Mm -hmm. But that eliminates... 80 percent of our lives. Yeah. Right. Because we can't we can't measure our emotions. We can't measure our relationship. We can't all all kinds of things. And we know that all those things exist. So it's our emotions exist. And even though they can't be measured. And I I think it's whenever an idea is doing very well, it kind of dwarfs other ideas and kind of gets in their way and (laughs) stuff like that. So I, I expect that to say, yeah, we're really, really good at this, but we need to, to also understand and try to understand using reason or whatever we want, our imaginations, our creativity, to understand these other parts of life. But one of the things that is interesting to me in your book was so many different religious ideas or stories had to do with light, mm. okay? Yes. And mm. these have to do with light. So why don't yes. you talk about that a little bit and then we'll.
0: Well, yeah. Uh, And that's an interesting thing when you think about a collective imagination and a Mm -hmm. kind of this this sort of uh, effort of humanity to try to figure out where we're going. That that common images do appear and and common themes. I mean, the themes that we live in a moral universe and that compassion is a central virtue. Mm -hmm. Those those are really constant. Um, The image of light and the image of a bridge. Mm-hmm. Those are two that come up again and again and again that when we leave this world we go on a bridge somewhere will it be capacious because we have expanded ourselves and become grace graceful and and grateful you know great grat- grateful people or will it become knife-edge sharp and not get us where we're going um Will there be demons on either side? Will our conscience be hounding ha- us? It turns it starts in Zoroastrianism again and it and and it turns up in Islam and it turns up in uh, Buddhism and it turns up in Christianity. You can find stories of the bridges after. Mm-hmm. And so that seems there seems to be some truth there mm-hmm. that we're getting at because we we keep coming at it from every culture, whether we've heard about each other's images or not. And the other one, as you said, is the light, is the Ahura Mazda in the realm of light. Obviously, when you look at Dante's Paradiso, it's the ravishing, mm-hmm. you know, the showers of stars and and the ravishing light that he he's blinded by, mm-hmm. um, and 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 so and 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 with the near-death experiences, that is one of the really common elements mm-hmm. that people come through a tunnel, they don't talk about a bridge, they're about a tunnel or some sort of passageway into the light, which then often takes shape into a figure of some sort. Um, But the light is a constant as is the bridge.
1: Interesting to me because light is a a physical phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know that it's, you know, photons being expelled by atoms um, and we know how long atoms last. They Mm -hmm. last a long time. Mm -hmm. So there could be some reality to this situation um, that it's not biological bodies or whatever but there are bodies made out of atoms that we really know that create light and that's mm-hmm. that's that could be. but we also should know that's like with history of the religion the history of our of our civilization and p- politics and everything 95% of it is probably inaccurate
0: is probably <laughs> it's probably
1: inaccurate yeah, oh yeah. Of that's that course seems to be about what is. the average is at least <laughs> yeah. i think i'm being a little generous actually <laughs> <laughs> But but it's, so thinking about it from that you know uh, reality point of view, um, what is it that draws you in and says this is something that's useful not only for how I live my life now but for the future.
0: Oh, I've got some people I really want to see. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's, that's one of the most basic human sort of uh, yearnings yeah. that comes up in any kind of vision of the afterlife is that our friends and our family, mm-hmm. you know, people we love will be there. Let's talk about maybe people we don't want to meet. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> perhaps there will be a solution to that too. Um, Yes i mean it it gets it, for me i've i my I had such a kind of standard i hate to say a hallmark notion of heaven before I started this, but I didn't think about it much and mm. um that that it, you know it exploded my my head with ideas about what it could be like such that i'm- i don't want to say. I don't, I certainly believe in an afterlife, but I'm really agnostic about what it's going to be like, because I don't think we're at a place in our evolution where we can actually understand What it might be that is happening out there, and that we may be in a in a progression that 's going to take a very long time through many many lives, whether it 's reincarnation, whether like with the mormons you you progress through many many worlds after mm-hmm. um, that this this it, what really spoke to me about a kind of realistic and also uh merciful way to look at our progress there uh, at our our movement towards the afterlife is that it is a progression Mm -hmm. and that at every point of the way really if we're mindful we have a choice Mm -hmm. as to whether we will act justly and 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 with compassion Mm -hmm. um and to have some hope that 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 is contributing to a general flow of the human race Mm -hmm. i do pray that today
1: and um it seems to me uh, that so much of what we've believed satisfies our psychology, right? And so you mentioned this thing about relatives that you want to see. I think most people, if you if you told them that it was going to be anonymous, that they would prefer that to the choir <laughs> image, you know, to see people that they really know. And actually, there's some some surveys uh, and so on that 20 to 50 40, 50, it depends on percent of people have talked to deceased relatives or have mm. imaginations oh. or dreams. Yeah. So let's, mm. let's talk about dreams for a second. We talked about light. Here's another area of our life. I mean, there's some probing of, the, of our brains while we're sleeping and stuff like that. But everybody on an everyday basis fills their mind with light and makes stories out of it. Mm. No? Your own dreams are, are you know, like you have a screen and you put it on and you, you completely remake it all the time. You tell yourself stories. People say, well, it must have this reason or this reason or this basis. But it probably has just as many motives as the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, we might be practicing for something else. We might be afraid of something else. It's probably just the same. But until we kind of say, how, how do our minds do that? Yeah. How do our minds do that? I think we don't know what our minds are. Because, and that's a daily basis. You can even do it. I mean, some people can daydream. You know, so they're alert. They're alive. I mean, not alive. Everyone's alive when they're sleeping. But they're, they're conscious and they can still visualize these things. And people with good imaginations can do it when they sit down to write. Mm-hmm. So, right? So yeah. it's the stories. And, and so our minds do this. And not, it's not like only yogis and, and, and bodhisattvas that have this experience. Every single person has this experience. So um, that has to be explained. Yeah. Can you, and, you explain? And,
2: no, it's inexplicable. Uh <laughs> you know, uh, it it's such a mysterious thing to me, imagination. Uh I'm I'm in awe of it because I have been in periods of drought and abundance and where why it happens now, why it happens. Another or does doesn't happen is 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 mysterious. You have to be there, and hospitable to it, and mm-hmm. for it to happen. But uh, it's one of those things. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm thinking of uh, a wonderful uh, parable that the Chinese sage uh, Chuang Zhu tells. Uh, about the, the, the there's a frog at the bottom of the well, of a well, of a deep well. And uh, all day long, this frog looks up at this little tiny circle of blue uh, above him, and he sings all day long of his vast knowledge of the heavens, okay? <laughs> and uh, I feel we're a little like that. Uh, I mean, that, or is... Chuang Tzu elsewhere says we see the heavens through a straw. Mm -hmm. And we are so circumscribed in that way, just even by the accidents of our birth, Mm -hmm. of our family, of the place we grew up, the faith that we grew up, all these things make a straw of our vision. And, And we are trying continually to enlarge that field. But... Uh, these these questions, I uh, uh, I I I feel as I get older an increasing humility about my ability to to feel confident in the answers uh, mm-hmm. to those questions.
1: Well, uh, your book uh, Beyond is a great example of, of expanding that straw because uh, you know I mean you you are raised a certain way with a certain set of beliefs, like you said, you had a certain idea about heaven, and then. You went through all this and it's, uh, it's fascinating to see, especially because you, you, you did go outside of the Judeo-Christian Islamic uh, tradition too and look at the other mm-hmm. major religions uh, that have influenced people's thinking. And there's some similarities and some wildly different, you know, ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how did you feel going into those things? Did you find any territory that was very um, uncomfortable?
0: Maybe. No, not really. Uh, there are certain forms of certain faiths that I think are uh, in error, and so I don't <laughs> take them as the legitimate expression of the faith. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, Um, I found that my whole thinking, my whole worldview was absolutely Jewish, which I loved Mm -hmm. being raised in Irish, German, Catholic, Um, (laughs) uh, you know, and I don't know why I was you know, that wasn't acknowledged. Um, I I felt a great attraction to to the Sufi Mm -hmm. uh, form of Islam. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And and so so there were things that really um, opened me up. But I can say very few I, I can't even really think of anything except for anything that was so condemnatory mm-hmm. and so absolute in in its judgment mm-hmm. it, that's really very rare yeah. that's really very rare and in, in in most religions there's a there's a little minority opinion that actually you judge yourself mm-hmm. you know which yeah. i think is a lot of wisdom to that uh, so the, and that's an out um <clears throat> And and there are there are also little minority opinions in most religions that if you don't want to keep going Mm -hmm. in life and you don't cultivate that hope and reach for that experience in some way Mm -hmm. during this life, maybe you end. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's it.
1: Well, it's interesting because you said before about the progression and how important it is. Um, to To a a, a, genial, uh, a more genial, compassionate way of looking at what we 're up to, right, right. <laughs> um, what I always find interesting is that when, when there 's a goal you know so the purpose of our life here is one uh, nirvana or two mm-hmm. enlightenment or three get to heaven, or four you know become as rich as Bill Gates, or whatever whatever goal you set <laughs> uh, what 's missing from all of those uh, analyses is that that's what gives meaning to your life. That's the idea. So what happens when you reach the goal? Then your life has no more meaning. Um, because you, you, have, you have gotten to heaven. You, you, you can't get to heaven. You're not supposed to be able to leave heaven. But I, mean, I mentioned the, the alternatives. But I find it very interesting. And it, 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 it's, it shows up unconsciously as in the stories that are told, um, which I think are, say, some of the reasons that both Christianity and Buddhism became very popular. Um, I think they have a, a strong similarity. Buddhism was not popular for the first 300 years or so. And then a monk came up with the idea of bodhisattvas, and then it became very popular. Now, why? Because the bodhisattvas are on the verge of the goal of life, and instead of going over the edge, they look back and they help other people get there. Okay. Which means that if you're one of the people they are helping, that you're more important than the goal of life to the to the bodhisattva that means you the center of the universe again i mean emotional center of the universe and of course almost everybody wants that to be true um and i think the same thing happened in christianity with paul that is jesus said a lot of very interesting things but it took this idea that god loved you so much as a sinner that he let his own son die in order for you to be saved which means you're more important than his son and you're more you know, emotionally. You know, to you, it might be inaccurate, you know, and that might be uh, uh, not intended by, by Paul and not intended by the monk that started that, that told the Bodhisattva story. Mm-hmm. But it is implied in those stories. And that's where I think the power of those ideas comes from, because we do we do live life from inside our minds out and we can pretend that we're the center of the universe until we mature and realize that there's a few other billion human beings and and few quadrillion other minds, at least, that we know about.
0: Well, I would say two things. One, the idea that we might get disappointed um, with what's, you know, the ideas of what people tell us is coming. Yeah. Um, maybe... Part of why we have such an extraordinary proliferation of ideas about what's coming, because we just get tired of them. (laughs) They're they're too small for us. We outgrow Uh them. Um, I do think there's a huge difference between getting to be as rich as Bill Gates and getting disappointed (laughs) and being somewhere else. Because at least for me, there's there's a there's an essential truth that we will be free Mm -hmm. And be in a in a stage of extraordinary growth mm-hmm. in a way, in a way that will leave any disappointment that I might have uh, that it 's not quite what I expected it 's going to be gone mm-hmm. it 's going to be gone but there it 's interesting though you know there I asked a, a very smart Jesuit about what his no- notion of heaven was, and he said, "Well, you know what actually." Maybe people just get what they want, <laughs> <laughs> which is another way of approaching it. However, if you're, if you're, I just don't feel like I'm a big enough person or spirit or soul to really know. Well, I'm I've, too small now.
1: This is, this is a very, a, a very good angle on heaven. As far as I'm concerned with what your judgment, father said, everyone gets what they want. Because I think a lot of the stories. <laughs> That's exactly what they are. Somebody sure. saying, I get exactly right. what I want. And, what and they,
0: the guy I hate gets yeah. Does something horrible, right? <laughs>
1: what they don't, what they don't uh, pay attention to is what all the other players in their vision get. You know, and because they're, they're those other players, the bit players uh, who are supporting them in their, in their role in heaven, uh, like, for example, angels. You know? They're supposed to be eternal. There's a hierarchy, you know, of, of, of angels. What would it be like if you were like at the bottom of that hierarchy and you had to stay there for all eternity? Would that, would that be fun for that angel? It might be useful to the people that they're helping. But from the point of view of the, that particular angel, and I think that this is part of telling stories uh, where you don't quite get the people that are too far off the main stage right. Um, and, and I think we tell a lot of stories like that.
0: Yes. The, I mean, the answer that Dante gave and others in other religions gave were that people who were, might have been in the lower heavens, mm-hmm. angels or whatever, are filled to their capacity. And so they have no idea that they are lesser. Mm. That's, that, that would be the answer.
1: Yeah, that's a, an interesting answer. <laughs> <laughs> because somebody created all those people with their limited capacities. Um, and so one one has to look and say... Why was that choice made? But in any case. Well, it would be odd
2: heaven to go to and then uh, be eternally
1: envious. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, That's <right>. I mean,
2: <laughs> as a friend of mine once told me, uh, you know, he said, envy is the only one of the cardinal sins that gives no pleasure. Think about it. That's great. Uh, and, you That's know, a very nice object. Gluttony. Yeah, it's, it's upside. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so on. Uh, yeah. But envy, No.
1: Well, you have a line in your book about that, uh, I think, was it not from Dante, but something about um, that in heaven, you're happy and no one can be envious, right? Yeah. That you, you can't be envious in heaven. Hmm. No matter where you are in heaven, you can't be envious. You, you, I remember that one. I've okay. got, I'll look it up. Probably center.
0: part yeah. of the Dante Yeah, yeah, yes. probably Dante. <laughs> yes.
1: so, so it's right in line with, with what you're saying. Somebody else has also said that that can't really work now, can it?
0: <laughs> you can't know how it can work. We can't know how it can yeah. work. See, that's yeah. why it doesn't bother me.
1: These <laughs> kinds of problems don't bother me. They're
0: problems generated by the limitations of our own minds. Yeah.
1: That's a really good way of looking at it. Um, now, but when you look at it and you've seen all the other ones, you, you made choices about which ones seem to be uh, more afflicted with the limitations of our own minds than others, right? Right. Some of the ideas you found, you know, like, like the ones that are based upon uh, angry, you know, um, attempts to be cruel to other people because you don't like them and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, or any it, exercise. It's so transparent what's yeah, going on. Yeah, or your exercise yeah. of your religion is actually um, harming other people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So in your, uh, in your books, in Pharaoh's Army, mm-hmm. speaking of cruelty, mm-hmm. you have a great story um, about the Vietnamese army playing a, 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 a cruel trick on not so much on you, but as on the guy who was going to replace you. Um, and and you're, you're embedded with the Vietnamese army. This is autobiographical, right? You, you went to Vietnam, right? So um, you're embedded with the Vietnamese army, and uh, a guy who is a kind of a big blowhard comes to take your place. And uh, they trick him into thinking that he's dancing with the, uh, uh, the, the niece of the general. Um, but it turns out to be something else. And you just, you, you tell the whole story, very fascinating story. And they just have like one line. You said, the, the, the humor of of the military or the, of soldiers can oh, be the very rough, cruel.
2: The rough humor of
1: yeah. soldiers. The yeah. rough humor of soldiers. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in a way, it, that reminded me of of, you know, how we how we deal with people that have done things that we don't like. I I think people would some people would be very have an easy time having a very rough, uh, cruel humor for Hitler and Stalin Mm -hmm. and, you know, all Mm -hmm. all these people that have done so much damage to us. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, in writing that up, you used a tremendous amount of restraint. Which made the, the, the 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 final thing much more powerful. I'd like to talk a little bit about that in writing this idea because people talk about it in movies. They talk about it in art in in all forms of art and that restraint. We don't have a lot of when we get to, to, to the, the, the beyond there's, there's, it's exuberant. It's exact uh, from both ends. Hmm. Um, But in our art that we tell each other there, it might be a small group that likes it, but there's a small group that thinks that's the highest art to have that restraint. So, Uh, Was it conscious to to, to approach your art that way? I suppose
2: uh, the the writers that I admire uh, practice that restraint uh, as, I think, a a form of uh, respect for the reader Mm -hmm. that you don't need to. As little as you need to tell the reader that the re that, that you trust the reader to understand. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of uh respect for the reader that has its reward for the writer and in, in the reader's delight in discovering those things which are there to be discovered because you have made them available to be discovered, but you haven't rubbed the reader's nose in it. Mm-hmm. And uh I mean, Hemingway's best short stories, for example, Chekhov stories, mm-hmm. Catherine Ann Porter stories are examples of that kind of art, I think, and of understatement, of implication. Uh, and implication needs a partner. It mm-hmm. needs someone mm-hmm. who understands implication and delights in it. And so there's a kind of conversation, a reciprocity that goes on between the writer and the reader that you hope will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, And, uh, and so I, 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 that all reading these writers, loving them, no doubt altered my own DNA as a writer and in ways that I'm not just calculating this all the time, but it becomes a kind of part of your writer's nature in a way, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um, so you're both writers, you're married to each other. You, 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 do you do this for each other? Do you act as the 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 reader for each other's books and and uh, does that help your marriage or <laughs> it, I mean it's a very yeah
2: certainly helps me as a writer, uh, and I will leave it to her to say the you know that other part, but uh, no, when I've actually brought something as far along, I rewrite a lot, when I've actually got something as far along as I can imagine bringing it, mm-hmm. uh, I can't see what else to do to make it better. That's when I, I should. Catherine is the first person I show my work to, and she's a really good re- reader and really helpful to me in in reimagining uh something if it needs to be reimagined and Catherine uh pays me the compliment of showing me her work when she has written something and I respond we both we don't pull our punches mm-hmm. because that's not helpful <laughs> right uh
0: and... I, I, I don't think it's so much as a compliment is that I actually need your help. Well. <laughs> but Toby and, and my my daughter, Mary Elizabeth, were really patient through this book and just went at it. I'd give them chapters because I really had to make sure that all this information that I was trying to get into form that people that would be accessible to people would be accessible to people. And they had to tell me that, that and every now and then, you know, they would, I mean, he stumbled over this whole idea of a spiritualized body. Okay. Uh-huh. When you're so your resurrection, you, you, well, you ever, and he said, how can this be? This is completely paradox. Well, it makes no sense, but that's, you know, mm. that is a paradox that we yeah. had to learn to live with because yeah. it's the only way that a lot of religions can refer to any sense of a, a body that is resurrected.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, for some reason, the resurrection uh, always reminds me of the, the uh, 19th century um, character who made a fortune uh, because he bought up land right outside the gates of Jerusalem um, and he sold them as cemetery pl- cemetery plots. This is this is you know before Florida swamp land was sold. Uh, he sold them as cemetery plots so that you could be first in line at the at the final judgment. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought, wow. <laughs> God is so easy to fool. It's he's not omniscient. I mean, it's a good thing he is omniscient. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another part of our imagination where we, we fail. Where, you know, almost every religion has a goal of, of, of heaven or an afterlife of some kind or a reincarnation and a set of rules of how to get to that goal, right? And you have to get... So there's a line, and you'd think that, at least among overachievers, that they would try to stay as high above that line as possible, but almost everybody dances right along that line, which means that they kind of believe that what's below the line is what we really want. And what's, mm. what's above the line is, 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 you know, told that we're supposed to want, but we're not quite convinced of that. Mm. Um, there are a few that dance as high as possible, um, and they usually end up in the, in the Sufi mystics or the, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but the average person definitely is a, is a dancer along the line, which means that almost everybody believes they can outsmart an omniscient God. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is another interesting part of, you know, our approach to him <laughs> and, and our narcissism being pretty yeah. extreme, you know.
0: Yeah. You, for you me.
1: can count me out of that number of
2: people. Uh, no, there's I don't I don't think so. Um, there's a wonderful scene in the Brothers Karamazov uh, where. The family has been, the father and his sons have been to see Father Zosima in the mm. monastery, and they come back, and the the old man is a total reprobate. and and But he's something has kind of stirred him up that day. So he goes around the table and he asks his sons, do you really believe in God? Mm-hmm. Really? And uh, he got one of his sons, Yvonne, is a clever lawyer who is An atheist, and who actually delights himself in writing uh, uh defenses of obscure and absurd church positions it it, <laughs> it he walks his wits that way, and uh then there's dimitri who's a wild man, but he says you know yvonne says honestly no no i don't i i i i can't and and dimitri uh for all his wildness says, Yes, yes, I do, and and then Alyosha, uh, he be- he says yes. Honestly, he believes and comes back to the old man, and and boy, he has every. Uh, uh, he said, I, I I I wish I that I. Didn't believe because he has a there's a profit to be made for him in not believing. He, <laughs> uh, he it, it would be, be all altogether better for him if <laughs> if there were not a God. But uh, as he as he would see it. Um, but he said, you know, but if if if, if there's no God. Who is, <laughs> who is laughing at us? And who is laughing at us? And I don't even take that to be a, an uncharitable laughter, mm-hmm. but a, no. the way you laugh at the Lovingly. the absurd antics of, of a child you love, you right. know? And you know they'll go on and do all kinds of things in their life and whatnot, but at this moment there's something that, you know... If only they knew, right? You would yeah, think, yeah. and, and uh, you know, maybe there's something of that that we're aware of. That you know, I certainly don't think that I'm outsmarting
1: that one who's laughing at me, though. <laughs> that's good. That's a that's a rare accomplishment if you could put that on your tombstone. I I know I didn't outsmart him. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, Catherine, uh, what in your studies about this, I mean, there's the the book is filled with, you know, hundreds of pages of details of all the different religions and what they believed and why they believed. So it's a lot. If you ever want to have a nice, concise, relatively concise way to understand what our imaginations have done over the centuries, it's a great book for that. But what for you is a detail that you think most people don't know and was stood out for you as something that was entertaining or enlightening for you to 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 uh, find out and write about in, in anything?
0: Oh, my goodness. I, I think it will. One is not necessarily a detail of heaven, mm. although one of my very favorite ones was a Puritan named. Um, because Richard Baxter, who had a beautiful choir, mm-hmm. and he said that actually singing together is the true taste of heaven. That mm-hmm. is the one true taste of heaven mm-hmm. that we have. Mm-hmm. And I, I sing in a choir, so that means a lot to me. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I think um, not in, in a detailed way, but in just in the way I um, started understanding the imagination mm-hmm. and how it had come up with. This these myriad images, um, and with the use of symbols and metaphors, and all these ways we try to put some shape on this thing that mm-hmm. you know that 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 we feel is out there. N- many of the scholars that I read set forth this theory, which I love, which is that just as I was saying, we keep. We keep we're, we're on this quest because we keep understanding there's something that's drawing us there. Yeah. But they talk about the imagination um, and and the symbols and metaphors that we come up with as being literally participating in that reality, that there's somehow when they come up with a beautiful metaphor, um for me, a lot of it is is Dante with the ravishing light or the the sense that the cosmos is what God sings mm-hmm. i mean that's just i 'm dazzled by that in in every way, and it it what they say, and of course these are people who if not of a, a particular faith, have some kind of faith mm-hmm. in a reality other right. that that a, 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 a rich metaphor like that can actually um give you the experience of what it's pointing to. Mm -hmm. And it actually comes alive in that. And I think, you know, I I think back to what I mentioned before with the light and the bridge and Mm -hmm. other things, um, that those have been such resonant metaphors for human beings in every religion or non-religions that they they point to a truth. Mm -hmm. They point to a truth. Now, if you're a scientific materialist and you think we end when our atoms just fall apart and we die... Mm -hmm. That This is meaningless. But how much of life, as you said, we, would we be missing if we were to take that? I, I feel bad. That's a, such a limited way of looking at the life that we've been given. you know. And, and I would so much more prefer to live um, with that kind of imaginative sense that I can somehow find a way to express, to find a word, to find a picture, something, a story that actually... It's harmonizing, resonating with mm-hmm. a truth way out there that I really can't conceive of at this point. But I know it's there.
1: Well, I like to take Pascal's wager and turn it on its head myself and say that, that there's only two possibilities when you die. One, either you're dead and you're gone, or you're still alive. One of those two things, right? Yeah. Now, if you're dead, you're not there to be unhappy. You're not saying... I- Oh, I got fooled, you know, or or anything else about having believed. None of that is there. You don't you're not unhappy. (laughs) Anything that you anticipated, it's all gone. You can't be afraid. You don't experience anything. (laughs) So if you're gone, that's it. Um, On the other hand, if you're still alive, um, you probably are in exactly the same state of mind as you were before you died, more or less. I mean, otherwise your personality will be totally different And, and you won't recognize yourself. You can't suddenly be different, um, and if you're if you're still pretty much the w- person you were, then then how you deal with life, with your imagination and your creativity while you're alive, is the most crucial thing. Mm-hmm. And and since uh, there's no reason under those circumstances to be afraid of what's going to happen, and so on and so forth, that you know, whatever comes, whatever it is, whatever whatever happens, I think it's a little bit more like saying instead of having faith that God exists or that heaven exists or that the afterlife exists, it's faith that if something exists like that, any of those things, uh, that it makes sense uh, that it's probably beautiful uh, rather than than because we're the ones who make cruelty and, and the things that, that mm-hmm. kind of get in our way um, or that that whoever's in charge at least has a fairly decent personality. We think that way <laughs> about people you know who who, who are creative, et etc, et etc well they may have weaknesses and stuff like that, but generally they must have a, a decent cr- personality to be creative and try to give things to other people. They're at least sharing. Mm-hmm. So see, at least got that. And I think that that's the image that Jesus gave, which I thought was, was one of the great ones, you know, that, that, you know, just imagine the best father that exists and multiply that 70 times, seven times. And that'll give you some idea about what my father's like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it, it gives you an idea. So I have an idea called the imagination's horizon, um, where I say that wherever you are, you, you can see so far to your horizon, and that's your imagination. And the, the more you study, the more you grow, the more you do things, the further your, the horizon is. And so you see further. And, and people have a difficulty this, with this. Um, a lot of the stuff about the afterlife is obviously on the other side of that horizon. We don't really see it. We just imagine it. Um, but your imagination can be either your enemy or your friend. Mm. You can either make it your conscience, which is yelling at you all the time. You're not where you could be. But if you're every, if you say it's a progression, the further along you get, the further out you can see, the more unhappy you could be the whole time that you're not where you are and instead say, oh, this is the way imagination works and just recognize it and don't make it your enemy. Right. And and then, and then you're all set. You're set for uh, progression in an enjoyable way. Um. And you have something wonderful. We have just time. Oh, one thing I'd like to say about, let's see. Yeah. Somebody somebody wrote in from from the live stream and said that they're they really enjoying this and that they have your books and your book on, on their shelves right behind them while they're oh, watching it. Oh, so lovely. Oh, good. wanted to mention that. That's somebody in Marin nice. County. So um, you have something that you wanted to read.
0: I just wanted to read this. Yeah. This is from a wonderful, wonderful man, uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Uh, if you ab- haven't heard of him, look, read at least one of his books called The Sabbath, and then you'll never stop reading him. Here's his, here are his thoughts that are very germane to what we've been talking about. Citizens of two realms, we all must sustain a dual allegiance. We sense the ineffable in one realm. We name and exploit reality in another. Between the two, we set up a system of references, but we can never fill the gap. They are as far and as close to each other as time and calendar, as violin and melody, as life, and what lies beyond the last breath. <laughs>
1: Beautiful. Since we just had our 119th birthday at the Commonwealth Club, so ends another event at the Commonwealth Club in its 120th year of enlightened discussion. And enlightened is actually a very good use Of the word for what we just did. Thank you very much, Catherine and Tobias Wolf. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you again. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play and Stitcher.